am I totally in love with this music? I, I feel like I'm back in the 1980s and I'm at the Westbury Drive-In with my popcorn trying to find the station for the movie theater. So if you are old enough to remember that, you are really old. Okay, let me just put it to you that way. This is Speak Up with Anthony Scaramucci. I am joined today by an incredibly dear friend, somebody that I've known 30 plus years and somebody that uh, helped me, and I'll just say this very upfront to everybody, helped me, actually prevented me from getting fired for at least 12 months of my early career at Goldman Sachs. I ultimately did get fired, by the way. I, I, I got hired at Goldman Sachs on August 14th, 1989. I think I met Steve Feldman in September of 1989. He was coming to Goldman Sachs from Skadden Arps. Uh, he was a lawyer. He went to University of Pennsylvania, brilliant human being. We met and bonded very quickly. And Steve was very quick to understand that I was completely incompetent in terms of doing Excel spreadsheets or Lotus spreadsheets. And so he was trying to help me. And frankly, if I had Steve next to me in law school, I would have obviously cheated off of him and had higher grades. But in any event, I ended up getting fired anyway. The rest is history. We'll talk a little bit about that. Um, but you are meeting a terrific person joining me, Stephen Feldman, co-founder and CEO of GBI. And just 30 seconds on GBI, I think it's very important. It is a global organization that serves the wealthiest individuals in the world in terms of securing and buying gold, keeping it safe, and making it a part of their macroeconomic portfolios, which, as you know, for 5,000 years, gold has been a store of value in the world. And Stephen has perfected that for people. Uh, he has his product at various wirehouses, including Merrill Lynch and UBS. Uh, and he's built a phenomenal business. The one thing I can say about Steve is he's a polymath. Uh, he's a bit of a genius. He's good at everything. He was good at being a lawyer. He was good at being an investment banker. So good at being an investment banker was 23 years of investment banking before he really found his true love, which was starting things. And so, and the last thing about Steve is he runs and owns and is the founder of Wealthion. Uh, and he brought me on. And so I want to introduce Steve. Steve, why don't you say a few things here? I've got some questions for you. Right, well, first, Welcome to the show. Thanks. Welcome with Skeep Speak Up with Anthony Scaramucci. And I may let you get a word in as wise. Go ahead. <laughs> yeah, that, that would be, uh, that would be good. Uh, well, first of all, thank you for that really uh, flattering introduction. Uh, as my wife says, you're just supposed to say thank you. So thank you. Uh, and yes, it's true. We met when we were really young bucks when Excel was called Lotus. And uh, both Anthony and I were ex-lawyers, but I at least had gone to business school. So I had a little advantage over him. And I am actually a full-blown nerd. So I learned to uh, work that pretty well. Uh, I look back on those years extremely, extremely fondly uh, with what I look at the set of worries and concerns and things I'm responsible for today. And uh, going back there is not just nostalgic, but it was a heck of a lot of fun. Well, it was. It was, it was great fun. You, were, you are a great friend, a three decade friend. Uh, but I want you to spend, if you don't mind, spend a little bit of time on GBI. Tell us uh, what I left out of the GBI story. How old is the company? Why did you start the company? What was the theme behind it? And tell us a little bit about your execution there. And then I want to switch over to Wealthion. Okay, great. Um, so uh, this company actually was started to solve a problem. 
And it's probably not, not a particularly well-known story. It's getting old and I, I don't really tell it very often. So thanks for asking. Uh, financial crisis hits. I'm sitting at Goldman Sachs uh, praying I don't become poor or bankrupt. Uh, and I had a partner at the time, a guy named Dan Tapiero, who's a really pioneering guy in the crypto space. Mm -hmm. And uh, he was a Drucken Miller and a macro guy. And I'm, I'm sort of a macro econ guy from my Wharton days. And we were sort of panicking a little bit, I admit it. You know, there's a lot of high cortisol levels. And we decided collectively that we were going to go buy some gold. And we didn't even, we were so freaked out about the banking system that we didn't even want to hold the gold in a bank. We wanted to hold it outside the banking system. So, you know, the internet was a bit more primitive, but you can still have it and try to Google and say, buy gold. And you'd find a lot of e-commerce shops. And, you know, at the size I wanted to buy, I was very unlikely to wire money to some stranger, arguably. And um, I ended up actually finding, uh, finding a refiner, which was right down across the street from Goldman on 80 Broad. I took my Goldman bag and I bought quite a bit of physical gold. And then I prayed that in my dial car on the way home that I wouldn't have an accident because the police would just kill me and take the gold. <laughs> so that led to, you know, all businesses, I think, start with the notion of you're solving a problem. And the problem here was how do you find an institutional and trusted offering for physical precious metals? And so we, using a lot of the experience we had at Goldman and finding people, all the other key executives came out of other wirehouses or backends, the Merrill Lynch's, the ops. We actually created a platform that plugs into brokerage accounts. So now you can buy physical precious metals, uh, gold, silver, platinum, palladium, as easy as you could buy a stock and a bond out of the brokerage account. And when you buy it, you actually own the physical stored in a Brinks type vault. And um, it shows up on your statement. So t two kilos stored Singapore, $80,000, excuse me, uh, $130,000 today and uh, for the two kilos. And so that became a business. And we added Merrill, we added UBS. Now we have direct-to-consumer. We're open in Japan. We're on the former E-Trade in Japan. But it doesn't make me a gold bug. And I know we're going to talk about some things here about optimism and pessimism. I am an optimist, but I'm also a large gold owner because I'm a pragma I'm a pragmatist. Sure. And and I and I have spent the last decade plus busting this narrative that precious metals are only for really negative people, end of worlders. Because frankly, it has a, it's a bit of a double edged asset class. It has no credit or counterparty risk. It's great in times that are bad. And its absolute performance in the last 20 years has been as good as stocks and a lot better than bonds. So, um, you know, I don't, we don't recommend it be, uh, uh, we're not recommending anybody take it 90% of their portfolio, but we're saying is if you're going to buy it, buy a physical, buy it a broker, buy it in an institutional way with a lot of safety and, mm -hmm. uh, and a lot of transparency. Stephen, it's a, it's a phenomenal business. I've been on Wall Street like you, 35 plus years, and uh, everybody should have some gold in their portfolio. You know, I'm a, a Bitcoin enthusiast. I see yeah. that in some respects as digital gold. Uh, people ask me about it all the time. I say, you know, you got to own both. I, 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 I totally agree with the, the narrative. Your narrative is older and frankly more stable. 
Uh, Bitcoin is obviously an early adoption technical asset, but but I applaud, I applaud you for what you've done and executing the story and turning this into an international brand. But you did something else at the same time. And this is the, the thing about you. You know, it's sort of like I created the SALT conference at Skybridge. I actually thought in 2008, Stephen, that we were going out of business and I thought I was going to be a third party marketer. So I, I needed a conference. That's why I ended up doing it. There was nothing more magical or innovative or visionary behind it. But you invented and created Wealthion, which I think is one of the more phenomenal names, by the way. Uh, and I'm thrilled to be a part of it with you now. But tell us a little bit about that. Tell us about the origin of Wealthion uh, and how that came to be. Before, before I do that, I just want to say uh, when we made the shift and we were looking for new hosts, I texted Anthony, would you be interested in... Um, it was literally three lines of a text. Would you be interested to be a host on Wealthion? Yeah, and he media, said, but I'm a media whore, but go ahead. And he, said, and he said, yes. <laughs> and I said, you're hired. Right. It was exactly. three, three lines. When, when it comes, when it comes to prostitution, we already know what I am. We're just now <laughs> negotiating price. Okay. So it was, it was the shortest hiring process in the history of mankind. Yeah, but I, I got to tell you one of the more disappointing things about my life, if you don't mind me adding this. Okay. Gore Vidal once said, one should never turn down the opportunity to be on television or to have sex. And I lament that I did not invent that quote. OK, I lament <laughs> it. Okay, It just bothers me. The other thing is, you know, the most dangerous place in the world is between me and a camera. Okay? If you're in, in between me and a camera, get out of the way. OK, so I was delighted to come on. No, but tell I us about Wealthion, because what I love about Wealthion and I've done CNBC and Fox. I had my own show. I bought Wall Street Week from the Rukeyser family. We put it on Fox Business. It, when I went to the White House, it eventually got sold to Bloomberg. And it's a lovely show. But this is a way more long formatted show where you can actually have a, a real discussion with somebody. How did you have the vision for this? How did you originate this? Well, uh, the birth story of this comes around one something that was in our precious metals franchise. So we own a couple of e-commerce franchises. One of them is called Gold Silver, which is what we would consider a content marketer. It actually has 750,000. Oh, hello. 750,000. Uh, he's he's, he's going to be a future gold bug. Just wait, everybody. I hope he's a future good investor. All right. Future good investor. Nikki coming in with the coffee. Look at that head Nikki, of hair. Nikki, Nikki knows what we're talking about here. Daddy claws. Okay. All right, Nick, we're on the air, so you gotta you gotta close up shop, okay? Love you. Close I see you. Um, so that gold silver has seven hundred and fifty thousand subscribers. It's built that up over fifteen years, and um, you know, a trusted guru who basically provides macro advice, uh, you know, sort of trading advice on uh, an education in the in the precious metal space. And you know, you look at that content model and you you sort of got i sort of got addicted to the notion that you know that education piece is so valuable and you know we, we like to think of ourselves as a mission-based company but obviously you got to make a little money to keep the mission going and so we said okay well listen what if we brought in the message um beyond precious metals to more macroeconomic and then start there and then start to feed off of that and so we partnered with Adam Taggart, who was the previous host, and we created a long form, mm -hmm. uh, you know, sort of the anti CNBC long form economic education format for Wealthion. And yes, the name is, is killer. 
Um, by the way, I've read that, I, you know, this, the question you haven't asked, which is something I'd like to share with the audience, which is, so what the heck just happened when, you know, when Adam left the show? Right, I, I, I read the comments. I was getting to that, and I love you because you're like, we always have to talk about the elephants that are in the room or pet the elephant. So yeah. let's pet that elephant. Talk a little bit about Adam and and your relationship there and it and his relationship with Wealthion. So, you know, I, I read the comments all the time. We're always trying to make Wealthion better. So I read the comments. Um, some are a little bit out there, but um, you know, everything is read to try to make the, the channel as good as it could be because it is serving the audience. It's not serving me. Um, and I read in the comments that Wealthion was bought by us. Mm -hmm. And that's not true. Um, it's not under new management. Uh, we've always owned it. And, uh, and Adam was the first host and he was very good at his job, but our vision for Wealthion started. I never, I never met Adam. Does he have good hair? Uh, I'll just, there are some old, there are some old videos still on the channel. You can okay. take a look. All right. I got to go look. Okay. okay. I've never met him. I hear he's a great guy. I just wonder if he has good hair. Right. See, as a host, as you being a host, yeah. we've upgraded. Upgraded with the hair. Okay, so, it's important, Stephen. You know it's important to me that I kept I, it for all these years. Okay, you know it's important to me. I knew it done. Of course, I'm dying it at this point. I won't admit to people what you're doing. I won't confirm or deny what you're doing with your hair, but I'll admit it's I'm all, dying. All, I'm dying all, this is this is a Latin American dictator brown. I have a beautiful beautician by the name of Erica. Uh, I was using Cuban leader black. It looked absolutely terrible on TV. So I had to lighten it up a bit. I was just asking about Adam's hair, but let's go back to Adam. I'm sorry. What did I ask? So, so television hosts have to have good hair. Under 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 his stewardship, you know, Wealthion de did develop a very distinct voice. But in my opinion, it overemphasized what we would call a gloom and doom perspective on economics and markets. Mm -hmm. And the goal of Wealthion 2.0 is to be more balanced, to have different point of views brought to you by different hosts. You're just one of a few hosts we have. And certainly guests that are have a range of, of points of view. Um, listen, we're still going to try to protect investors from cloudy days, which you know will come. But balance that with a Buffett-style pragmatic optimism, because ultimately, and you and I discussed this the other day, it's hard to play defense your whole life and make money. Uh, America is about risk. America is about upside. Now, that doesn't, by the way, how do I reconcile that with being a gold company also, which is, first of all, gold goes up. Uh, and so I believe that you don't, you're not all in with risk, you know, uh, leverage long uh, tech stocks. But at the same token, we want to make sure that people have a balanced voice and a balanced execution. And we refer to RIAs and we are adding new RIAs who will also reflect a more balanced style um, uh, mm -hmm. of investing. Mm -hmm. Some things, as you mentioned, will not change. You know, our long form content format is going to stay. And that allows us to delve deeper um, uh certainly deeper than the short form segments on CNBC. We get to learn things about like how you style your hair and Erica and how good a stylist and dyer person she is. Those are things we want to connect to. We want people to connect. They want, I want them to connect to you, connect to our friendship, 
connect to our guests. I want to understand what keeps our guests up at night because sure. if anyone who reaches our age, believe me, no one sleeps through the night anymore. There's yeah. too much to worry about. I, I, I want to say something, if you don't mind, because I think this is very important and I want to get your reaction to it. Okay, so I grew up in a gloom and doom family. Okay, we had the earth was coming to an end every single day. My father was a construction worker. My mother was a homemaker. Uh, and my, you know, my parents were up against it financially. So they always thought that a rock slide was going to happen to the family. And they always had us uptight about money. When I was about 16 years old, I read a book called Crisis Investing by a guy by the name of Doug Casey. Doug Casey. Okay, yeah. right? so Doug, Doug's still around. I've, I have a you know, I have a relationship with Doug and I respect Doug, but he was writing in the 1980s about the end of the world. Gold, you may remember, I think had gotten to $800 an ounce, which is probably, I don't know, three or $4,000 an ounce of today's equivalent dollars. And I was a gloom and doomster. And then when I got to Goldman Sachs, it was 1991. I'd been fired from the real estate department and I would been repotted into the equities division. And there was a guy by the name of Steve Einhorn that said to me, uh, he was our equities. He was the yes, partner right. in charge of the research department. You're shaking. You remember him? Yeah, of course. He said, he said, Anthony, you got to get out of that blue collar doomster stuff. Okay. You got to make a big bet on America. At that time it was 1990. He said from 1929 to 1990, stock market goes up 70 to 75% of the time. Yes, there are boom bust cycles and crashes. But you got to bet the market. You got to bet the future. You got to bet new technology. You got to bet on businesses like a Home Depot, which or a Walmart. And he was telling me these things, and I I had such a hard time moving myself from pessimism to optimism because it was ingrained in me. Uh, but I think a message that I have for people, and I want to get your reaction. Yes, you got to save for the rainy day. You should certainly have gold in your portfolio, and we should certainly talk about what could happen that could be really bad, but we should also talk about the exponential opportunities that are out there that can benefit the families of wealthy on customers. What's your reaction to that, Steve? Well, this, 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 listen, I, 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 this is the reason I love you. Uh, I, I didn't even talk about this question, but I'm so, I'm blessed that you asked it. So listen, I'm, I'm not an, an un, uh, not an un, successful human financially. I would spend time in Wall Street during the greatest years of Wall Street history. Um, but I have money trauma too. Um, you know, I, um, I grew up in a household where the monthly bill night, I moved upstairs and, you know, tried not to listen because that my parents who were extremely loving, I mean, they were like the Siamese parents. And, but one hour a month, you could hear them fighting. Right. And money was tight and it was an issue. And then my father, you know, didn't accumulate really enough. He was always concerned about that. And so for me, I do have a little bit of that trauma and I never really know. I have to balance Wall Street and Buddhism to know when enough is. And I think I'm fortunate mm -hmm. that I've worked with a lot of hard work. Mm -hmm. I've gotten to what a lot of billionaires don't have, which is I have enough. Mm -hmm. And so what I'm trying now to be a good custodian of that wealth. And that, but I'm still long stocks more than I'm long gold on the theory that I'm an optimist and I believe in America. And I, but I have, I have the benefit, unlike many wealthy on viewers, that I probably could withstand a, a meaningful drawdown. Mm -hmm. I could be okay. So there's different portfolios for different people. And mm -hmm. I think that part of this, 
your risk profile does have to have a reflection of who you are, your psyche. What I'd rather a dollar, a dollar in the bank for me gives me more mental health than a dollar in a yacht. Not that I can yeah. afford a yacht. But some people get all the pleasure in the world from the spending. I get more pleasure from saving. So my my advisor knows that. And then if you're depending on your age and your risk profile, you should have different portfolios. And that's why we send people to registered investment advisors who can help people navigate that. Right. That ties into what does a portfolio like? Even though I'm a gold purveyor, I've never told anybody to have more than five to eight percent in in gold. And that depends on your risk and that depends on your age and that depends on your wealth and that depends on your income. And so, but but at the same token, by the way, one thing that people don't understand that the S&P 500 is not the stock market, it's the 500 best companies. And the reason that the stock market goes up is because Woolworths isn't there and Sears isn't there. And all those crappy companies, they get removed. And so an index maker is constantly taking the 500 best companies and putting them in the stock market. And that's mm -hmm. why the stock market goes up. Mm -hmm. If you just took a, a single company and you decided to bet on it, I'm not positive you would get the same returns. Well, that, that, that's very, very true. It's not saying that you can't have some concentration like a Mr. Buffett or Charlie Munger, uh, but your notion is that there's a constant involvement in the economy. Buffett gave a great presentation in the year 2000 at the Sun Valley Conference where he said, listen, I'm going to show you names in the Dow from 1900. And he says, 100 years later, I'm going to show you the names in the Dow. There was only one name, Stephen. It was General Electric. And he said, listen, it gotten taken out of the Dow in the 20s, got put back in the Dow. And guess what? It's 2023. GE is no longer in the Dow. And so what we know about our society, that it's evolving and it's changing but the reason why people should listen to Wealthy on and come on and enjoy the commentators and the ideas and the subject material is that we can help you. We can give you the tools to invest. We can give you the tools to, to reach financial safety or some level of financial independence. So, so where would you like Wealthy on to go as you're broadening your vision of Wealthy on? And of course, addressing the elephant in the room, Adam decided that he wanted to depart and start his own thing. And so we we both wish him well, of course, uh, but it's given you the opportunity now to rethink the editorial content of Wealthion. And so where would you like it to go? Well, we, we've already started. So sitting here today, we have three, we have three hosts. We may have more and the host may change. And then there's the voices. Well, I'm, I'm uh, not leaving. The host may change, but I'm not leaving. I'm just letting you know you... I'm not, I'm not you're, 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 you're stuck with me. It's like a marriage. It's like a, it's like right. a Jewish, it's like a Jewish Italian marriage. You can't embarrass the family by breaking it up, Stephen. Yeah, I understand. You're, you're, you're yeah. like psoriasis. It's hard to get rid of, and sometimes you break out, and you just need yeah, a exactly. Work. And you have to scratch the itch every once yeah. in a while too. So, so too bad. You know, I again, maybe this is too much information for our audience. Which is, I, I say, I'm no different than anybody else. We're trying to figure it out. I have a strategy. There's no doubt. Uh, Diversity of, ho of hosts, diversity of voices, dedicated to education, dedicated to interaction, taking feedback. We're going to continue to do conferences. Uh, we are talking, you'd be really, I can't disclose the, the, the people that we're talking to, but some really exciting names. Not only are they good and they're expert and they're insightful, but they're fun and they're exactly. entertaining and they're normal. Yeah. 
Good. And they're not these automaton people who just have, okay, I'm going to go speak on nine YouTube channels and say the same thing. And then I'm going to go to some crummy conference and say the same thing there. What we're trying to do is get a little bit behind the scenes, behind the scenes of what people, so I can present lots of charts, but then I can present how I feel about the charts and I can tell you a little about myself. That's sort of the goal of the channel and you can't do it in six minutes. And that's why I think we would compete well with CNBC, although I hope we get to be that big, uh, but that's the goal. But we, we can pivot, you know, we're running a small business. We're not, you know, this is not uh, Bloomberg TV. This isn't Goldman Sachs. And we, you know, I would encourage people to continue to be in the comments, tell us how we could be better and give us suggestions. And we will listen. I promise you, we will listen, but keep it polite. You know, that's the one thing. Let's, let's all be gentlemen. And yeah, listen, I mean, I, I've had everything said about me. You know, the, you know the, the beauty is that once you've had your uh, cherry popped in terms of being blasted in the media, you know, you're used to it. You don't you don't care. You have thicker well, skin than I do, I suspect. Yeah. Well, listen, I mean, you had to. I mean, when you get blown out of the White House like I did in Rhode, they, they skin you. First of all, they blow you out of the front door. You're on to Pennsylvania Avenue. They skin you alive and then they roll you in margarita salt just to see how it feels. So (laughs) once that happens, you don't care about anything. But but the the truth be told, um, my financial independence has come with trials and tribulations. I've been fired twice. I was fired once at Goldman, rehired into Goldman. I got fired from the White House. Clients have fired me. Uh, I've obviously had some Bitcoin bad moments, Stephen. I brought with me a prop that was given to me. Okay. This is a replica, a bobblehead replica of the front page of the New York Post. See, I'm I'm sinking in the Bitcoin boat. The New York Post said I'm dying, and there I am. I'm going, oh, look, oh, oh, but you know what? It came back up. Yeah. Okay. And so the point I'm making is that, you know, Bitcoin is likely now to have a uh, cash uh, ETF. Uh, SEC is likely to improve it. We're one of the investors in BlackRock's ETF. Um, and we like Bitcoin the same way we like gold. We want people to see it as a potential store of value in their portfolio. It's not a get rich quick scheme for me or for you. And this is about how you set the tools up to go through the trials and tribulations, not to be doom and gloom, but to understand that there is potential doom and lots of boom. And so you have to be there for the boom, you know. You take yourself out of the stock market for 10 days and they happen to be the 10 best days of the year. Well, guess what? You have a flat return. But if you're in there and you can take the oscillation, uh, you're generating a healthy return. You'll outpace inflation and you'll have some money for your retirement. So, so Stephen, we take, uh, as you know, this is your idea. So I love you for it. Speak up. Uh, speak up with Anthony Scaramucci. It's a call-in show. So it's 9-2-the-mooch. That's 928 436 Six six two four. Um, call in if you have questions for Steve. Uh, we want to hear from you. Before we take these callers, though, Steve, um, and we have a little bit of a shot clock going, so I want you to go through the 2024 predictions uh, for Speak Up with Anthony Scaramucci. And by the way, what I love about this, and this is one of the things I love about Steve, at the top of this list, it says 2024 predictions by Anthony Scaramucci and Steve Feldman. We're right back in 1991, ladies and gentlemen, because Steve wrote this. Steve put it together. And because he's a gentleman, he added my name to it. Okay, this is exactly what was going on with my spreadsheets back at Gold. 
Okay, so I love you dearly. You lead us off. You tell us about these predictions, and then we'll take questions from Carl. Okay, so we we will uh, we'll publish this. If you're please, if you're not already on our email list for Wealthion, please go to the website, give us your email, and we'll send out. What's the What's the email that they'd have to go to, Steve? You know, www.wealthion.com. Oh, just go to www.wealthion.com. So three yeah. w's.wealthion.com. Yeah, you can you can log in and register with us. And you'll get some of our content. And, and by the way, the content is going to get better. And, you know, we're upgrading everything, at least we're going to try. Uh, and in the comments, if you guys have predictions for 2024, we're going to uh, to read those and try to put together your list, too. And then we'll compare them six months in. We'll see who's smarter. The crowdsource predictions or, uh, or, or my predictions with Anthony's editing and help. So... Um, all right, I'll pick one. By the way, this was, I'm going to pick one on the list and I am going to give Anthony credit for it. He gave me the idea and then I did a little research, which is the merger of the year. So uh, Anthony predicted that Apple is going to buy Disney. And uh, and I think that is a would be a brilliant merger. Um, so Apple introduced its VR glasses and it's been very flat. And if you buy Disney, you can activate VR in the most amazing way. Imagine giving your kids glasses and having them be in Disneyland. Mm -hmm. uh, that would be extraordinary. Have, have, have them be on the planet Andor, have them be in an Avenger. Be in Elon, be in all of those things. Moreover, mm -hmm. they would get that, uh, that catalog of entertainment that Apple TV is, Frank, I'm a streamer, so when Apple TV Apple Plus seems to me one of the weaker programming. You know, Hulu seems better to me. Netflix seems better. Mm -hmm. so now all of a sudden they would dominate. I don't think I don't think it would have an antitrust issue. I'm not positive, and most of not a hard hard Scott Rodino lawyer, but uh, I thought that was a brilliant merger. So uh, uh, Tim Cook, if you're listening, and maybe yeah. Bob Iger wants to get out. Well, I, I mean, listen, Bob Iger has said it privately that. Uh, He's back there to see if he can retool the company and make that merge. And of course, there's a very famous fight uh, between Michael Eisner and Stephen Jobs over Pixar. Uh, and it wasn't until Iger got a hold of the company that he was able to convince Jobs to allow him to buy Pixar. So these companies are very close to each other. We'll have to see if that happens. Uh, Stephen, I'm being told by Barbara. Uh, who's coming into our chat room over here that she wants us to take a uh, call. We're going to go, the first thing we're going to do is we're going to go to a, a voicemail uh, call that came in. And so we're going to ask, ask Vivek to set, set up the video. But let's, let's, let's fire this up first. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Hey, Anthony. Great show. Thanks for letting me call on. It's Mike here from Arizona. Vivek uh, Ramaswamy just said something about BlackRock. State Street Vanguard being a powerful cartel and that they are using our money to create a country that we never voted for. I'm curious, what are your thoughts on that? Okay, so I'm going to I'm going to have Stephen address that first and then I'm obviously going to talk about it. But Steve, 
Vivek is making a point, it's an interesting point. These companies own the S&P 500. They're the largest ETF manufacturers in the world. So they literally own these companies and they own each other. Um, what's your reaction to what uh, Mr. Ramaswamy is saying? Listen, I it, it makes me uncomfortable. I, I, you can't have any common sense and feel comfortable that handful of companies dominate the ownership of the stock market. And, you know, I know, I don't know about you, Anthony, I some once in a while, I get one of those envelopes, and it says it's my proxy. And I have to vote and I take my three shares and I'm voting them. And I'm like, I'm going to really read through this and put my three shares in. So I, by my own behavior, I'm seeding my vote mm -hmm. to the big guys who have proxy groups and people mm -hmm. who I served on a board of a public company. And in order to get votes just for my board seat, I had to go do a road show. I'm in BlackRock, I, you know, 12 people sitting in a room. Everybody's wearing a very expensive suit. They're all like 30 years old. And I, you know, sort of have to, I, I'm like the, you know, trying to entertain them and make them like me. And it was a little exhausting, especially since I do feel like I was qualified, but, you know, who knew what they were going to decide? So, so you're worried. So, of course, I'm concerned about it. My, my question is, is what what's the better answer? What, they, what these companies have been providing is very, very inexpensive access to these companies. I'm not sure what the fees are, but... Mm -hmm. I assume most of these are three to five basis points. Yes. And so you can get access to the greatest companies in a very liquid vehicle. Yes. And you're paying three to five basis points, which is really extraordinarily what? low. But I do feel like, listen, I'm not a fan of massive regulation, but we all have to be very mindful that you might have five people determining the future of every company. And so you saw this in ESG, which again, we're for it. But are you for it having five wise people making the vote for all of these? Yeah, companies? no, no. You and I believe, I mean, we believe in libertarianism and decentralization. And I think what Mr. Ramaswamy is saying, which I agree with, is that we have to be very careful that we get duopoly settings or triopoly settings. And one of the things that's happening is because of the lobbying of these big companies now, um, the government doesn't act like it used to, Stephen. You know, we during the Reagan administration, you and I, of course, are old enough to remember that we broke up AT&T. Uh, remember, they were thinking about breaking up IBM. They were thinking about breaking up Microsoft. Those two survived intact. But AT&T was broken. We don't break these big companies anymore. Or we don't break the big banks anymore. Uh, and yet, if you go back to U.S. antitrust law, sometimes breaking up these companies, making them smaller, uh, actually lowers prices. There's less monopoly competition, you know, or elimination of competition, I should say. Um, but yeah, it's a great question. We do have a think, call. I'm sorry. Go ahead. Do you think, Anthony, if there was sort of a whole, if you took, let's say you took the uh, Google, Apple, Microsoft, uh, you know, the, the guys who you can actually say moat slash monopolies and you broke mm -hmm. them up, we would be in a better place? Or are you suggesting that we would be better off breaking up the black the black rocks of the world? You know, I, I'm suggesting that we have to review the, the government has to review these things again. You know, I, I, I don't want to break a black rock. Okay, prima facie, looking at it, I think it's doing a great job and I think it's been fair. I think Larry, by his own admission, Larry Fink, the CEO of BlackRock, probably got two connected into the ESG thing and didn't think of the underlying money that he's running and the fiduciary nature of that underlying money. So I think he's going to come at it from a more balanced perspective. But I'm just making the point that we no longer think about 
these antitrust issues in the country anymore. But I think we need to because you you, you don't want to eliminate the little guy, Steve. What ends up happening is these big, big companies, um, they have a lot of scale uh, and then they can pounce on little people harder. I can tell you right now, if the regulatory environment was set up the way it is today in 2005, when I started Skybridge, I could not start Skybridge. No. The first nine employees at Skybridge, Stephen, would have been in, would have been attorneys and compliance people. Yeah. Uh, and so that eliminates a competitor to Skybridge because that young person today, I was 41 when I started it. There's a 41-year-old out there that would like to start it, but they've got to have nine people involved with the with the regulation. I want to take this caller, though, because we've got him waiting on the line. This is Dave from Ohio. Uh, Dave, thanks for joining us on the show. Hey, thanks for having me, Anthony and Stephen. Good to, good to, good to speak to you. Well, well, Merry Christmas, Happy Holidays, Happy Kwanzaa, Happy Hanukkah. Uh, thanks for thanks for joining us on a uh, a late December show, Dave. What's on your mind? Well, I just want to say, um, you know, you're speaking, to jumping on the heels. So I'm gonna before I get into my question slash prediction, what you and you you and uh, Stephen were talking about. Your format is brilliant. I love it, long form. You know, I grew up uh, watching my dad, who was a construction union guy in Jersey. Uh, no formal financial training, but you know, I would see him watching CNBC and, and get his get his licks in there. And uh, he really made something in addition to what he did based on the familiar faces on there. And last week, I saw you know, guys had Ron and Sana on, uh, and you just you just let them talk. You know, there's a lot of ground cover that you can't fit between the commercial breaks. And I think what uh, the format you guys are in are really what the future is and really essential to those of us without formal financial training getting what we need to know out of these markets um well, it's great it's but, great you know, feedback. we about, appreciate it because that's exactly what we're trying to do sir and dave that, that is really nice to hear and thank you uh, i got like a little business goosebump oh good yeah yeah you know i i, I saw him on him like you know me and my pops used to, to watch his little snippets on you know cbc you know this is predates fox business even um he uh you guys are chatting about real estate rent to buy um and my prediction it's an optimistic one i was fortunate enough me and my wife started the business we want to own our commercial space uh to kind of have our hand on the football that way uh, i'm kind of thinking commercial will uptick this year and continue as most of us flock back to work flock back to brick and mortars we're looking to expand into a new market, um, having filled our first commercial space, going a couple of towns over. But I'm thinking that, you know, these class A and B buildings are just going to go up and up. Uh, I'm cautiously optimistic that is the case. And I would just love to hear your take on that. And what's it look like? Do you rent the commercial space? Or do you kind of, if you have the means, gather investors, gather capital to buy that commercial space? and go from there. All right. So I'm going to flip this over to Steve because Dave, you, you may not know this. Steve has probably two decades of experience in the real estate world from being a lawyer in it, a tenant rep, a principal, uh, a buyer of uh, uh, properties and so forth. But I'll flip it over to Steve. You know, th it is a thank you. Uh, thanks, Anthony. Uh, and Dave, again, thank you for the question. I think you know, let me let me pull the lens back a little bit about real estate generally. Um, 
on the positive side of the ledger, real estate has been one of the asset classes that has been, you know, an extraordinary, an extraordinary wealth creator for people over the long term. Uh, and it, it's not just for the way it performs, uh, which is usually very good over the long term, but because of the tax benefits it provides to individual investors. So you have sheltered cash flows because you could take depreciation. And so your cash flows uh, are typically tax-free. Uh, there are 1031 transactions. So towards the end, you know, you want to sell it and you want to get the proceeds. You can turn it into another real estate deal and not pay the tax until you're dead. And so obviously this is Anthony mentioned how the brokerage companies go to Wall Street and somehow I should say that the big companies somehow go to to from from Wall Street and others go and end up uh, changing policy, real estate people forever have changed government policy. And that's why it's such an advantage asset class. On the micro side, it's it's now we're in a technical moment. Uh, we're technical because interest rates are higher. So that should affect cap rates. So you should be able to buy more cheaply. You should certainly be able to buy at a cap rate that's above your borrowing rate. You don't want it to have negative interest. Uh, you have to be concerned in commercial about tenancies. I don't think this work from home thing is going to change back very dramatically. I think we are where we are. We'll now grow from here. This is the new normal that people I'm, I'm in my office today. It's, you know, probably three people out of 30 in the New York office today because Fridays, nobody went. It's also Christmas. So if you can gather the money and you can do the micro underwriting to say that you're not going to have massive vacancies for a long period of time. I think now is a terrific time to buy. You'd be a bit contrarian, but if you could afford it, I would do it. So, so I just want to add one thing, Dave, and I think you'll appreciate this from your dad's experience and your own in business. That's the boldness. That's what we need to do in our lives. We have to take that leap, even though there could be elements of uncertainty or elements of stress associated with it. I can tell you that I have never made a real estate purchase in my life that I've regretted. Uh, I, but I can also tell you that I've had duration in mind. So whatever it is you're thinking about buying, have it in your head. You're going to own it for five to seven years or a little bit longer, and you'll catch the benefit of the up and down cycle. Yeah, the time time in the market is better than timing the market. That's what he used to tell me. Right. Amen. Well, we appreciate you calling in. We wish you a great holiday. We've got to take uh, a few other callers, but thanks for, for jumping on. And call back, please. Okay, we want to hear from you, Dave. Absolutely. All Absolutely. Right. Thank you both. All Happy the best. You Enjoy the holidays, sir. Happy New Year. You as well, friends. Take care. Okay, we got another caller uh, on hold. Uh, now speaking up is Matt from Los Angeles. Matt, welcome to the show. Howdy, guys. Howdy, guys. Thank you very much for doing this. I appreciate it. I wouldn't tell people to buy the commercial RE right now. I think that sometimes big paradigms shift, and I think this is one of those moments where you can just be on the wrong side of a trend, like getting in stocks in 1968, right? That's just my personal take. Mm -hmm. um, here's, my, here's my big question, and it's for Mooch, because I know that he knows some real uh, – I know he knows some real heavyweights in the world of politics. I want to shift to, like, big, big, big picture geopol. So – you know, I'm from L.A. Obviously, my background's a little liberal, uh, like the average L.A. person. I've always seen uh, Trump, Bibi Netanyahu, and really uh, Putin or, or like the, the Petrushev kind of like team that I think is taking over in Russia. I've seen I've seen Trump, uh, Bibi and Putin kind of as a unit in geopolitics. 
I think that that triumvirate is under a tremendous amount of stress in a lot of ways right now, especially political stress in terms of, uh, you know, Dem supported Israel being kind of shaky right now and making everyone very nervous in politics. What's your take on this team of three people? Is it, Mooch, do you think that like the, the, that one, when one hurts, it really upsets the entire team and we're seeing a shift where all three are kind of getting swept off the, the historical stage in 2024. What's your take on that? You know, so so it's interesting. You're bringing up you're bringing up something that uh, I have never thought about before. But I think I don't see them necessarily as a team, but I see them bubbling up from their populations in certainly the same vein. And so there is a national yes, yes, the same themes politically, right? Yes, exactly. So there's same a national. There's a nationalism going on. I don't want to get overly wonky, but if you get a moment over the holidays, if you read The Guns of August by Barbara Tuckman, uh, you will see both Putin I'm and Yahoo. Yeah. Okay, and, and this book is about rise, the that's, specter that's of asked, rising. Exactly. So this is about the specter of rising nationalism. Sometimes when we, we lose our living wartime memory, uh, we start to glorify that in our minds. And so after the Napoleonic Wars, Europe didn't want any more wars, uh, and they settled on a, 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 right. a reasonable peace treaty. After World War II, we had a failed treaty after World War I, but after World War II, we had a successful treaty, but we're 80 years out from it, and you're seeing the specter of nationalism again. And so Netanyahu, Putin, and Trump represent that. And so the real question is, are there more people out there? Uh, you know, Putin's running an autocracy, uh, but he does have to face the music with his public from time to time. And so the question is, are we exhausting that nationalism without touching off a global war? Because right. what Tuckman said in that book is you got a lot of nationalism going, you could touch off a fervent war. And I'm an optimist about this stuff. Well, here's, what I'm, asking, here's what I'm asking. Yeah. Is, has that moment has that moment peaked? Because like four years ago, we had Bolsonaro in power. We had Bibi kind of like manipulating things and effectively in power. We had Trump in office. We had Putin looking a lot more healthy, not feeling kind of scared by people rejecting his vaccine. And that happened, you know, and, and contributed to the war. The Russian people did reject the many vaccine approaches the Russians had. So do you see that kind of thing peaking and maybe that kind of neo-nationalist coalition falling apart rapidly and then reassembling into something? Is, what do you see in the next year or two with so it? Listen, you know, it is a brilliant question, and I'm answering it on the fly because I had never thought about it the way you're positioning it. And I think one thing Stephen and I are going to promise you about Wealthion, this show and other shows on Wealthion, if we don't know the answer to something, we're going to say, hey, listen, we don't know the answer. So I can only give you my editorial opinion. And I think you're bringing up something very interesting. I think we have reached that. And I think we're actually going to come over the chasm of it into something different. Uh, there's an elder yeah. population. There's an elder population represented by those three men that I think are leaving the political stage. And I think there's going to be 40 and 50. And the earth, they're dying. They're dying and, yeah, exactly. I think you're going to be a little bit more data dependent. And I'm being very hopeful here. I'm hoping that they will go into a more success-based outcome and less of an emotional-based outcome. But I think it's a brilliant question. I appreciate you calling in. And uh, um, I don't know, Stephen, do you want to add anything to that? Listen, you're more of a geopolitical expert than I am. We all watch with a little bit of concern about the rise of nationalism um, because it also it, it seems to come with a bit of violence. Mm -hmm. uh, Always. And, yeah, that's what she that, said. Yeah. And what's happened, frankly, is <laughs> it feels like 
humans have about an 80 year memory. And so you think about today's current events uh, in the guise of a World War II memory where people can't remember the horror of an all out war. We, we throw around, oh, World War III is gonna start. Well, 60 million people died in World War III. Um, you see some of the things that are you know, going on in campuses and that's forgetting, in my opinion, people forget about oh, what Holocaust, we forgot about that. So there's a lot that's going on and it takes people like you and us to remind people that there, these things are horrific. And if you, and, and I feel sometimes the nationalists take advantage of people's short memories, but uh, I think the Barbara Tuckman book, which is, is unbelievably good, and folks like yourself have to really be thoughtful about that and stand up when, when nationalism starts to tip over to some other negative, uh, negative space. Really well said. Thank you for joining us. We got a, we got a prediction here from a viewer. Uh, so we're going to ask these guys, uh, the S&P up 10 in the first quarter before a 40% crash. Stephen Mix via chat. And you say what, Stephen? It's very hard to predict crashes. Um, and so let's look backwards before we look forwards. 40% is there, there have been probably in my lifetime, I want to say, two and a half drawdowns of that percentage, right? 2008 and, uh, and in the pandemic. And um, in both times, there was massive, um, massive federal intervention in both. Um, and I frankly think in 2008, there was more ability to back the truck up. What looked big then looks quaint now. Uh, TARP compared to pandemic relief and you're sitting there with $34 trillion of debt, I don't know how many bullets you have left to fix the 40%. I can't predict the 40%. There's part of me that says, you know, you should build your portfolio in a way that you can A, withstand it, and B, take some of that cash that's earning 4.5% today or 5% and move it in. I'd also say this is the reason where we're in, <laughs> we're in the gold business, which is, Sometimes stocks go down and often when 40%, that's when you're happy you have something that goes up that you can sell and leg in. Uh, what would be behind a 40% crash? Um, I'd say probably three things come to mind. And this is with some historical benefit of some historical uh, uh, research. One would be an exogenous event, right? War. You know, we, it's a small item with Anthony. I think it's a small chance. Yeah. But if it happens and we're sucked into that, you know, markets can go bad. Listen, credit, a, and the other is a credit event. It's right? a it's an interesting position. Do you remember Elaine Garzarelli? I'm gonna throw a name out at you. Remember? She looked like a comedic actress or something. Yeah, like well, that. no, Elaine was uh, the Lehman Brothers strategist. She's still around. She's oh, wrong. wrong. I got that completely wrong. She, yeah, was, she, was, she was a Lehman strategist in 1987 that predicted the crash. 25 percent crash. Boom. October 19th, 1987, we had it. Um, and so and she, was well, she was well celebrated for it. But I, the reason I'm bringing this up is that that crash happened. There was pain in the system. If you sold the crash, man, did you miss out on the opportunity of a lifetime. In the year 2000, the stock market crashed. The NASDAQ went through that 40%, both Stevens. But yet, if you got juked out of, and many people in our generation, Steve, got juked out of technology, if you got juked out of it, you missed the opportunity of a generation and perhaps the best opportunity in U.S. economic history 
you could have put $10,000 into Amazon at its low, it's worth $15 million today. So I guess the thing that we need to do is, uh, is uh, try to sit through, try to stay through these things with high quality companies. So I'm getting yelled at that uh, we, we didn't cover all of our predictions, but I think Steve and I are calling an audible here, our predictions, which were written by Steve, but of course I'm taking credit for them as well. So these are Steve and Anthony predictions. Although I did predict that Elon Musk is going to invent the orgasmatron that was in the Woody Allen hit in 1973 <laughs> sleeper, where you just walk into the booth and you end up coming out of the booth refreshed. Let's put it this way. Refreshed. Um, but this is this is going to be on our website. These are the predictions. We'll comment on them again next week. People can fire in the comments. Um, any other questions out there email wise? Here we go. I read a recent opinion on the epidemic of loneliness in the country. My kids are grown. So it's not just me and my wife. Money isn't a big issue, but I do worry about warding off loneliness. Okay. I'll let Steve, I just so everybody knows here, even though Steve and I know each other for 30 years, I was one years old when I met Steve and Steve is way older than me. Okay. Yeah. Of course, of course I, if you believe that I have br bridges yeah. on the East river that I want to sell you, but Steve, you answer this. Because I think you are about six months older than me. So that makes you the elder statesman. Yes. Th th that makes me 39 and a half. <laughs> exactly. um, you know, I read this opinion piece. Uh, it was in the New York Times. And the New York Times has had uh, a bunch of articles that I think have been excellent talking about the issues that people of our age-ish are going through, whether it be dealing with uh, older parents and how to you know find elder care? How do you afford elder care? And then that they've also this is the second article about uh, the epidemic of loneliness in the country. So I did read this. Um, listen, it, it's going to hit my shores too. I come from a small family. Um, you know, I don't have uh, I don't I don't even have very few cousins, very few one one sister, a couple of nephews and ne nieces and nephews. My kids are grown up, so this could be me. Um, and I, I think that this country has done an, a pretty awful job uh, when, it, when it gets to the elderly. You know, we're, we're great at uh, capitalism. And since older people don't spend like longshoremen uh, and uh, on a Friday night, they get discarded. Uh, that's not true in other cultures. You know, and it's not true in the Middle East. It's not true in Japan. It's not true in Asia. And so the whole thing is set up for you to be separated from society. And it's a little sad. And I know people worry about this because it even crosses my mind that I don't think it's gonna hit me as hard as some others. Um, but I think people have to really get off social media and start to build their community actively before they need it. And, you know, there are, I know, Everybody is beating up all of these institutions from the church to Penn to the government. But these institutions connect us. And in some way, shape or form, if you're in New York, you should be going to the 92nd Street Y. You should be going to your church and your religious communities and building your networks. And you can't do it when you're 90. You have to start doing it. In our society, you have to do it a little younger when you're still a little bit more valued, unfortunately, which shouldn't be the case. 
So I would, I would really encourage people to stop, get out from behind that screen, which is really a, a loneliness machine, connect with community, connect with friends, play pickleball if you have to, even though it sounds like a terrible sport to me. But um, I, I think, you know, for the for folks who want to find something athletic, community, religious, educational, even if you don't love your cousins, give them a call. Keep, don't shut anybody off and stay open-minded to people. I mean, it's great advice. I'm not going to add anything to it because it's so, it's so good. I'm going to let that. I'm going to leave that there. Um, Stephen, we're gonna we're gonna we're gonna wrap here. Okay, but before we do, what are you doing for the holiday? I am an empty nester, so I leave in January. Uh, I'm going to Chile for a couple of weeks, and everything from wine country to Patagonia. Uh, my wife and myself are doing that. And for the holidays, we, you know, we try to recover, <laughs> frankly, whether people are going to lots of parties. I'm a hardworking guy, very hard driving. Mm-hmm. By the end of the year, I'm a, I'm a little fatigued. I take the holidays to reconnect with friends, people who are around, write notes, read a lot of books. How about yourself? Well, okay. You know, Jews and Italians are very similar, Stephen, so you're going to be able to relate to this. Like, I have an 87-year-old mother, okay, who lives two miles from where I'm located right now, okay, and she probably has, like, a geolocator somewhere on my body that she inserted in 1965, okay, a result of which, if I move any further from this house, like, I probably get electrocuted, so I'm going to be here, uh, but then I'm per- I have permission to leave Okay, and cross the border sometime in mid-January. So I'm going to be out in San Moritz at a crypto conference after the holidays. But here on uh, on sunny and very uncloudy and very uncold Long Island. Okay, but what am I going to do? Right, we're both from Strong Island, and that's where I'm going to be. Uh, but God bless Chile and San Moritz, very fancy places for us. I want to wish everybody out there listening to speak up uh, a very very merry Christmas, happy Hanukkah whatever you're celebrating, frankly, happy holidays, a wonderful new year. We'll be back next week, believe it or not, in the interregnum between Christmas and New Year to talk about these predictions uh, with our listeners and to talk more about wealth management and financial fitness. God bless everybody. This is Speak Up and this is a wrap and very lots of hugs and thanks to my great friend, Steve Feldman, for joining us today. This is a fun, fun, fun time. (music) Thank <music> you.